This is Andrew Smith. You're listening to Today in Church History, a place where we're reminded that history is truly his story. History is the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. I hope you enjoy listening to these episodes of Today in Church History. Their purpose is to ignite a passion for God's truth, one historical event at a time. Today is Friday, March 22nd, 2019. But on this day in history, March 22, 1720, John Gill, the renowned Baptist scholar-preacher, was ordained to gospel ministry. Years earlier, on the very day John Gill was born, someone told his father, Edward Gill, that his son would be a scholar and that all the world could not prevent it. Well, such became true. Gill became a scholar of the highest order and was considered an expert in both Old Testament studies and New Testament studies, as well as ancient languages and also the Jewish antiquities. From 1746 to 1748, Gill published a large three-volume work of an exposition of the New Testament. He also produced a massive systematic theology. Possessing a doctor of divinity received from his training in Aberdeen, Scotland, Gill became a prolific writer on any theological truth you could possibly think of. But throughout church history, it was typical that the greatest scholars were pastors first, not ivory tower theologians. This is true across the board. They were men who fought real battles, shepherded real people, preached every Sunday, visited the sick, buried the dead, and married the young. Now, John Gill is viewed as a controversial figure due to the charge of him being a hyper-Calvinist, which we'll get to in a moment. Let me just say, on a side note, that there is a difference between hyper-Calvinism and high-Calvinism. The latter is what really marked John Gill. But his ministry was birthed in controversy. His very ordination on March 22, 1720 led to a church split. A year earlier, in 1719, Gill was invited to a church meeting in Goat Yard Passage in Horse Lie Down Southwark to preach in view of the pastorate. Half the congregation voted against him being called as minister, and this resulted in a church split that saw the supporting faction leaving and ordaining Gill as their minister the following year. Meeting in a schoolhouse, this new church plant, with Gill at the helm, became one of the most blessed congregations in South London. In fact, Gill served the congregation of Baptist Chapel of Carter's Lane for 51 years. Gill also taught lectures beyond his pastoral duties, whose attendees formed a society. And every Wednesday evening, Gill would lecture the Bible to the people in these societies. John Gill's theology was nicknamed Gillism for its high Calvinistic flavor. Some have wrongly accused Gill of being a hyper-Calvinist, but many have debunked this charge throughout church history. One man who wasn't afraid to disagree with Gill on secondary issues if he deemed necessary was Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon looked up to Gill. Spurgeon admired Gill. Spurgeon read the works of Gill, and Spurgeon also denied that John Gill was a hyper-Calvinist. In fact, Gill's pulpit was housed in Metropolitan Tabernacle and was used by Spurgeon's students at the pastor's college to preach their trial sermons. Also, a painting of John Gill hung in Spurgeon's vestry. Observers often noted that Gill's nose in the painting was tilted upward. Spurgeon, in his typical humor, used to say that Gill was simply turning up his nose at the Arminians who were walking by. Now, while Spurgeon did not believe that Gill was a hyper-Calvinist, he did admit that many wrongly interpreted Gill that way. Spurgeon lamented, and I quote, The system of theology with which many identify John Gill's name has chilled many churches to their very soul, for it has led them to omit the free invitations of the gospel and to deny that it is the duty of sinners to believe in Jesus. 
But for this, Spurgeon says, Dr. Gill must not be altogether held responsible, for a candid reader of his commentary will soon perceive in it expressions altogether out of accord with such a narrow system. And, in fact, it is well known, Spurgeon goes on to say, that when John Gill preached, he preached with such emotion and urgency in his voice that even hyper-Calvinists could not endure him. One story goes of a hyper-Calvinist that went to hear John Gill preach. Afterwards, he remarked that if he had not been told that that was the great John Gill who preached, he would have thought the man preaching was an Arminian. John Gill had a strong distaste for any theology that appeared man-centered, and this would certainly include Arminianism. His theology possessed a strong and sturdy affirmation of God's sovereign glory in salvation, and in particular, the doctrines of election, predestination, and reprobation. But if one continues to read Gill, and believe me, reading Gill is a continuous process because he wrote an unbelievable amount of material, you will find that Gill affirmed the necessity of the preaching of the gospel for sinners to be saved. Classically speaking, a hyper-Calvinist sees no need for the gospel to be preached to the non-elect since they can't and they won't believe. But Gill saw it differently. In his work entitled Body of Divinity, John Gill comes to a section in which he is explaining the public ministry of the pastor. Gill considers the usefulness of the office of pastor, and he discusses how evangelism plays a vital role in the pastor fulfilling his duty. He writes, and I quote, In general, its use is for the enlargement of the interest of Christ in the world. That is the use of the pastoral office. And it is by means of the gospel being preached to all nations and all the world that the kingdom of Christ has been spread everywhere, not only in Judea, where the gospel was first preached, but throughout the Gentile world. Multitudes were converted, and churches were set up everywhere. Christianity triumphed, and heathenism everywhere abolished. The ministry of the word is for the conversion of sinners, without which churches would not be increased nor supported, and must in course fail and come to nothing. But the hand of the Lord being with his ministers, many in every age believe and turn to the Lord and are added to the churches, by which means they are kept up and preserved, and hence it is necessary in the ministers of the word to set forth the lost and miserable estate and condition of men by nature, the danger they are in, the necessity of regeneration and repentance, and of a better righteousness than their own and of faith in Christ, which things are blessed for the turning of men from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. In other words, what John Gill is expressing is the fact that a pastor has a duty to preach the gospel. First and foremost, he is to edify the saints, and in Body of Divinity, Gill goes on to explain that one of his chief purposes is to edify the saints and to preach expositional messages. But this does not mean that the pastor is not also required to preach the gospel, not only to his parishioners, many of which might actually be unconverted sinners still, even though they've made a profession of faith, but also to preach the gospel to any who might come into the church who are not saved. That is, those who know that they are unbelievers, and when they hear the gospel and the Spirit of God works, he uses the message preached to save souls. Baptist historian Dr. Tom Nettles concludes that not only was John Gill not a hyper-Calvinist as charged, but that he was actually a champion of evangelism. In his book entitled, By His Grace and for His Glory, A Historical, Theological, and Practical Study of the Doctrines of Grace in Baptist Life, Tom Nettles writes the following. One can accuse Gill of non-invitation, non-application, only by clinging to an unbiblically narrow concept of invitation, as if it were called a physical activity at the end of a preaching service. The nomenclature of hyper-Calvinist in speaking of Gill must be questioned seriously in light of his clear, perceptive zeal for the gospel. 
his earnestness of desire for the salvation of his hearers, his statements regarding the perpetuity of the law as exhibited in the gospel, and his belief concerning the blameworthiness of rejecting the gospel message and all it contains. And perhaps, rather than imputing blame upon Gill for the leanness of the times, he should be credited with preserving gospel purity, which eventuated in the efforts to use means for the conversion of the heathen, end quote. In other words, Tom Nettles sees John Gill as playing an instrumental role in the modern missions movement. Now, there are other points of controversy in Gill's ministry other than the charge of being a hyper-Calvinist. Once he was warned that if he published a certain book he had been writing, then he would lose many supporters and his income would be reduced. Gill responded by saying, Do not tell me of losing. I value nothing in comparison with gospel truth. I am not afraid to be poor. On the other hand, there were other lighter moments of controversy with his own parishioners. Spurgeon tells of a female parishioner of John Gill who called upon him to find fault with the excessive length of his white bands. The white bands were the white bow ties that pastors during Gill's era wore. Dr. Gill responded by saying, Well, well, what do you think is the right length of my bow tie? Take them and make them as long or as short as you like. Well, the lady expressed her delight. She was sure that her dear pastor would grant her request, and therefore she had brought her scissors with her and would do the trimming at once. Accordingly, snip, snip, and the thing was done, and the bands were gone. Now, said Dr. Gill, my good sister, you must do me a good turn also. And the woman responded by saying, yes, I'll do whatever you want, doctor. What can be done? Well, you have something about you which is a deal too long and causes me no end of trouble, and I would like to see it shorter. Well, indeed, dear pastor, I will not hesitate. What is it? Here are the scissors. Use them as you please. Come, dear sister, stick out your tongue. The lesson to take from the occasion of Gill's ordination and gospel ministry being birthed in controversy is that controversy followed Gill to the end of his life. And controversy will follow every minister who is faithful to the gospel. The charges that Gill was a hyper-Calvinist are rooted largely in his expansive writing on election, predestination, and the glory of God. His zeal for God's sovereign grace led him to speak up, to speak out, and to defend God's truth. Some people simply didn't like it, but Gill was being faithful to the scriptures. Gill preached faithfully for 51 years. Ministry is a man's game. Like Paul, ministers must not count their life as dear unto themselves. They must run their course with dogged determination. They are to live for God and for God alone. Controversy will follow every gospel minister, but he is ultimately running for an audience of one, namely God himself. History is truly his story. It's the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Today in Church History. You can access more episodes by going to my website, www.heartaflame.org. And if you'd like, you can also subscribe to these episodes on Apple iTunes simply by searching for Today in Church History. Until next time, I'm your host, Andrew Smith.